I think it's very rare that I get a no when I ask for something because people know that one, I'm a good human and two, I believe in giving back to them. Welcome to Profit Out Web3 Podcast. I'm your host, Kier. This podcast is aiming to inspire you as a Web3 marketer with case studies of the fastest growing Web3 projects. Today, we are talking about Arbitrum, the most successful, in my opinion, layer 2 solution in Ethereum in terms of ecosystem building. We're seeing endless innovation since the day it launched. From Magic, GMX to Gains Network, how did they do it? Let's together find out with ex-CMO of Arbitrum, Andrew Saunders. Uh, Andrew Saunders, I'm the CMO of Hashflow, which I'll get into in a minute. Um, I've been a marketer for, God, I'm getting old now, uh, about 20 years. Um, I started in Hollywood. I worked for the world's largest, at the time, uh, talent agency. So I represented folks like Justin Bieber um, and Ariana Grande. Um, and I basically helped build you know, 360 businesses around them. So think like ancillary revenue streams. Then I helped build and scale uh, NBC Universal. So in America, one of the largest traditional media companies, helped build and scale their uh, in-house agency. Uh, then went to a company called Tastemade, which um, was one of the companies that Google helped incubate. And at the time, I was helping to incubate a lot of those companies myself um, and went over there. And then actually, funny enough, Amazon invested in us. And then about two weeks later, Amazon poached me and uh, brought me to headquarters where I was the global head of entertainment and culture, um, which I think the easiest way to think about it is, is next-gen marketing. So marketing in the places people aren't, um, marketing to the younger generations that people don't understand. Um, and then, you know, like most, got the crypto bug, um, was the first CMO of Arbitrum, which uh, I know you're familiar with, uh, yep. still, doing, still doing quite well. And mm -hmm. then uh, recently went over to Hashflow to be their first CMO. So, you know, quick uh, TLDR on Hashflow. Hashflow is a multi-chain decentralized exchange. Um, so think Ethereum, oh, my, my, my old friend Arbitrum, uh, Avalanche, BNB chain, Optimism, Polygon. Um, and I think what makes Hashflow pretty unique and, and definitely one of the things that attracted me is um, we have a very different model than other DEXs. We have what's called an RFQ model or a request for quote model. And what that means is basically we work with, instead of an AMM, we work with premium market makers. Um, so think Wintermute, think GSR, um, mm. who, who coincidentally enough are also backers and investors in Hashflow, which is which is quite nice. Um, but basically we have you know this RFQ model that really just enables uh, direct price quotes. So what that means for, for anyone that's not a big trader is you know when you trade on a lot of other DEXs or you use an AMM, you know, a lot of times you can pay things like 7% slippage fees. Um, we have 0% slippage fees. And then um, without getting too technical, when you think of uh, MEV um, or, or our old friend Jerry from Subway, um, you know, one of the other things that you'll find with other DEXs is, is, um, is this thing called front running or sandwich attacks, which again, you know, easiest way to think about it, it, it affects your price point. And so we are actually uh, fully MEV resistant, meaning when you go to make a trade, you know, what you see is, is pretty much what you get. Um, aside from that, I think one thing that's exciting that's actually about to about to launch, so a little alpha for you, mm -hmm. um, is we're launching a uh, gamified trading platform. So for anyone that's a big fan of GameFi, um, I think this is something that you'll you'll get excited about. And um, Hashverse, you know, right? Hashverse, yeah, the mm -hmm. Hashverse, my friend. Get ready to enter yep. it. Um, okay. and, you know, happy to talk a little bit about that as well. But um, but we partnered. You know, going back to my Hollywood days, we partnered with folks from uh, folks from Marvel. Um, who created, you know, Captain America movies, mm -hmm. uh, Avengers movies, Fast and Furious movies. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. like the best movies. So, yes. uh, 
so there's some really awesome storytelling 140 unique characters but but really like the ethos of of hash versus um one there'll be opportunities for you to uh, up level your experience as a trader. So I think a lot of people in this industry uh, wish they could become better traders. A lot of normies that are you know, crypto curious would love to up, up level their skills. And so one thing we're gonna do is, is make that easy for folks. Um, and then aside from that, there's gonna be another element that's really interesting that um, trying to think without telling too much, the best way to think about it is we're about to bring a lot of utility to a lot of things that don't have utility today. Um, and by doing so, enable communities to kind of come together and rally together um, and actually compete against one another for some, some pretty incredible opportunities and prizes. So very excited about that. And then I think, you know, last thing I would say about Hashflow is, you know, because a lot of people ask me, you know, why did you go to Hashflow? Why Hashflow? You had, you know, a lot of different choices um, to choose from. Uh, pretty simple. I mean, the, the the caliber of talent here is really second to none. Um, you know, you know my background, Amazon, Arbitrum, CAA, but, you know, the rest of the team is is folks from Airbnb, um, CAA, Coinbase, Endeavor, Goldman Sachs, Meta, Citadel, Genesis, NASA, Nike, Twitter, Uber, Vayner. So it's really like creme de la creme in terms of talent. And then again, going back to kind of investors, you know, Dragonfly, who who I had a lot of respect for even before I was here. Um, shout out to Dragonfly for actually being one of my motivators to come here. Um, okay. Electric, yeah, Electric yeah. Capital, who's former Dragonfly. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously, we have Coinbase Ventures as an investor who's doing some great things. Galaxy, and then like I said before, you know some of the big, um, big market makers like GSR and Wintermute. And then the other thing that I get excited about is we have some pretty prolific, um, you know, independent investors. So folks like Jason Choi, you know, Anthony Sassano, uh, Meltem. Um, Balaji. So it's a, it's a pretty full house of, uh, of top tier talent investors. So it was a pretty, uh, pretty simple choice for myself. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, sounds like you made a, a right move. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, funny enough, I'm actually like also an angel investor and I've invested in a lot of uh, like blue chip, not, not blue chip, but more, let's call it emerging brands that have become you know, bigger brands and well-known brands. And so I definitely have a little bit of my own strategy when it comes to deciding where I want to go and, you know, who I want to work with. And um, I would say so far, my track record is, uh, is a hundred percent, is a hundred percent good. Yeah. Great. For, for those of you who want to hear, uh, you know, the career advisory from, uh, from Andrew, we are going to leave it to the end. So make sure to stick with us. Uh, but we're going to start with four questions. Okay. First, sure, yeah. two, two about Arbitrums and two about Hashflow, shall we? Yeah. Okay, so um, we know Arbitrum and you were mainly in charge of the community and development of the ecosystem and growth of Arbitrum, of course. And we yep. do see a relatively speaking, a very thriving economic compares to it's not only the L2, even compares to the non-EVM L1. Yep. It's still thriving. And I want to give the context to, um, you know, listeners who are not familiar with the, how harsh the competition it is back, back in the days. So um, when the optimism and arbitrum started, it was called optimistic rollout. And mm -hmm. OP was kind of like a hand and they have a very, I would say close relationship with the Ethereum foundation. And they were pretty much six months at least ahead of you by developing an arbitrage back in the day was, was uh, basically an academic research. Okay. Mm -hmm. And they made it through by, you know, having, I believe when I checked the DeFi Lama, it was like four times of TVL and more developers in terms of 
well, just showing some data fact. And after the very famous Arbitrum airdrops and, and this um, community you know, uh, operation, uh, they are facing a very harsh uh, competition from ZK, from you know, ZK Sync and StockNet, but yeah. they are still doing fine. We are still seeing a lot of projects other than you know, Magic, other than you know, GMX. A lot mm -hmm. of um, projects when they migrate from, say, BND to Arbitrum, they are experiencing an, an enormous boost in, their, in terms of their user numbers and TVL, like level. Yeah. So, so how come? Like, yeah. it's, it seems like you don't have the best card when you, when you shovel, right? You have like, well, you have your ace-10, you don't have ace-king like OP had, but you yeah. played it well. Uh, I'm just wondering, and, and it's basically within the one year that you were you were in Arbitrum. Yeah, I, I, I would love to know, and I would love to learn from you because I am me myself. I'm doing kind of a similar job as well. Sure. What makes that happen? Yeah, no, it's a great question. I mean, the first thing I'll say, um, and I love the intro, is never doubt an underdog, and. Um, as you probably noticed with Hashflow, I, I went to an underdog. We're, you know, we're top 10, but we're not number one. And uh, you better believe, buddy, that like we're going to be rising those ranks over time because I, I know what I'm doing. Um, so, yeah, going back to Arbitrum, I think um, there's a couple things that I would say. One, let's just start with the, with the facts. Um, I think the technology is is truly kind of second to none, at least, you know, in terms of today. And And what I mean by that is... I quote unquote DYOR myself, you know, before I entered the industry, um, full transparency, I interviewed with a lot of the competitors. I mean, I think, as you know, there's not a lot of marketing, like, like real marketing talent in this industry. Um, you know, I'm in a lot of groups with other CMOs and, and what I find is, and this is, by the way, this is not unique to web three. Um, there's a lot of CMOs that come from brand marketing where they understand how to build a brand, how to build brand love. And then on the other side of marketing, you have what are called performance marketers, which are really kind of, you know, all about the numbers, AKA, you know, I spend here, I see that, I increase this, I see that. And I, you know, I've always believed that the future is a hybrid and, and it has to be because at the end of the day, you have to get sophisticated enough to be able to measure what you're doing and optimize it. Um, so that's the performance side. But at the same time, you have to understand the importance and the role of building a brand, how to build a brand, um, how to build love for that brand, and how to sustain that love over time, right? So I do think there's a, you know, a piece of it is, you know, I did come in, there aren't a lot of other CMOs. Um, just even in terms of CMO talent, I, I live across both those worlds, and I won't bore you with all the other worlds I live across, but, but I have a pretty non-traditional marketing background and a pretty robust kind of 360 background. And so I do think, you know, that was obviously a little bit of an advantage. Um, uh, in terms of just like, what do we do right? Or, or, or why is Arbitrum thriving? You know, again, I think the tech is great. I think the builder experience was very good. You know, I think, you know, creating tools that are builder centric. And, and we used to talk about this at Amazon quite a bit, but it's, but it's called customer obsession, right? And so mm -hmm. if you think about my role at Arbitrum, you know, yes, on one side, it's B2C, it's building community, it's building users. But on the other side, it's B2B, right? It's, it's mm -hmm. um, helping grow businesses and brands built on top of us, knowing that the growth of those companies is going to trickle down and benefit us, right? And so the joke, but but not really a joke, is, is when I was there, 
on almost every call I had, the first thing I would say was, I'm not the CMO of Arbitrum. I'm the CMO of the Arbitrum ecosystem. And what a lot of partners would say is, you know, well, what does that mean? And I said, your growth is my growth, right? And so, you know, full, full transparency, I did growth marketing sessions with companies that were building on top of us, you know, taking my 20 years of experience and giving it to them for free. Mm. Um, I was very, very big on this notion of how do we leverage what we have to grow what they have. So both my own personal Twitter, which, you know, I think went from like two to 25,000 in a couple months, um, and also the Arbitrum handle. I mean, a lot of what I was doing was, you know, retweeting these, um, driving awareness, as we know, top funnel marketing, because again, the more I could drive awareness for these companies, and then the more I could drive interest and intent, and then let's call it conversions that a purchase, that's just going to benefit us. Right. So mm-hmm. I think like taking what I would call like an ecosystem co-marketing collaborative marketing approach, you know, definitely a, a, a big factor. Um, and even to this day, you know, I worked with over 500 projects, many of which you named before. Um, these have become friends. I mean, you know, full transparency hash flow built on top of Arbitrum. <laughs> yeah. And this, the second they heard I was on the market, like they literally called me and they're like, talk to us, talk to us. Right. So yeah. uh, I'm, I did, I, I really do love it here to be honest with you, but, but I think that's a big piece of it. And then I think the other thing is, you know, as a CMO, you know, just to kind of paint the picture for you, you know, I come from very, very humble beginnings. Um, you know, I, I, I didn't grow up with a lot of money. Um, I didn't have, you know, all the kind of relationships and resources that the rich kids had. And so I think ever since I was young, I've had this hustle mentality. My my first job, funny enough, was uh, I used to bring hip hop mixtapes to the suburbs um, for like some pretty prolific like hip hop artists back in the day. And actually, the funny thing to to even even mention there is like hip hop, like most things, you know, the culture, um, you know, kind of invented this model because if you think of like two different hip hop artists who have two different fan bases. And the next thing you know, one's doing a you know a bar on someone's song, and someone's doing a bar on someone's song. That's co-marketing, right? And so that's kind of how I looked at it. Um, you know, mm. other things that I did, um, I you know I am what I call a growth marketer, or even I guess I would call myself a growth hacker. And there's not there's not a lot of like real growth hackers out there. I mean, in my Rolodex of forty thousand people, I think I know about ten that I would call like real growth hackers. And mm-hmm. what that oftentimes is like understanding the algorithms, knowing how to test and learn against the algorithms, um, knowing how to optimize content for every single channel. And that's more than just the time zone and the format, but it's, you know, how, you know, what you're writing, how you're writing it, who you're tagging, when you're tagging. I mean, it's, there's a science to it. Right. Um, but, you know, just to kind of paint that picture again, you know, I, part, some of the things that I started doing is one, I started creating content that looked and felt a lot more like entertainment. So you'll still see today on Arbitrum shows like, you know, players going to play, which is really just a way to bring different GameFi projects to life in an interesting way. Um, I created another, you know, show called Defines, which was really about diving deep with different DeFi protocols and DeFi companies. But again, that is, it's not just entertainment, that's audience segmentation, right? That's me mm-hmm. saying, I know there are DeFi builders and DeFi enthusiasts. I know there's GameFi builders and GameFi enthusiasts. You know, I know there's researchers and research enthusiasts. How do I how do I create content that resonates with them? Because there isn't a one size fits all. Um, and so the other thing that you probably noticed is I launched a whole series of Twitter channels. But I think what was very different at Arbitrum versus others is most protocols and companies that I see, it's like they launched 25 Twitter handles in 25 languages like that. I, I'll never do that for a hundred different reasons. 
But what I did do is I created like a community channel where it was, you know, two or three X the amount of community hyping and promotion as the main channel, right? Mm -hmm. I, I had a developer channel that was very technical because um, a lot of developers candidly don't like marketing and, and I get it, right? So that mm -hmm. content was very different. I had a, uh, an intern channel, which was pure, you know, shit posting and memes. Um, but again, the way I look at that as a marketer is those are different um, customer acquisition funnels, right? And my ultimate goal was how do I bring all those people into Arbitrum? But again, even if I don't bring them in, I can still reach them here, 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 here. So, yeah. you know, without diving super deep, I think that's part of it. And then, and then the last thing I would say is, um, you know, in terms of like audience development strategy, um, I really, really, really try to become an actual member of the community versus a C-suite executive. And, and what I mean by that is what I notice quite a bit in, in the Web3 industry and crypto and you know, all these different areas is a lot of times the founders and C-suite executives um, treat themselves like they're precious, right? Mm -hmm. And they really tweet, um, they don't reply, um, they don't attend other people's spaces. Um, and I think for me, like as someone that entered Web3 from, from Big Tech Web2 at Amazon, I joined this industry for the right reasons. Like, sure, I would love to pump my bags like everyone else, but I also like to create, you know, financial freedom for people. I'd like to create investment opportunities for the underserved. I'd like to create new job opportunities for younger generations, you know, all these things that, that I really believe in. And so for me at Arbitrum, it was hard not to, you know, jump off my high horse and not like march alongside my community members and you know, a couple little things that I did, I launched, um, I launched private, you know, alpha channels with, you know, my most engaged members of the community with my um, most high profile members of the community. And to be honest with you, like a lot of those guys have become like IRL friends, like they've all doxxed themselves to me, I know their names and where they live, I've hung out with them before. Um, and, and, you know, what I found candidly, when I went to Hashflow is they came with me, right. So, mm -hmm. you know, and look at there's like some really great reports that Masari's done for us. Um, they're called State of Hashflow. There's you know Q123. I would look at the Q223 one, but I'm not gonna lie, we saw an enormous surge in Arbitrum traders. Um, and what pretty much everyone said to me is we we ride with you, you know. So mm -hmm. I think and like if you are authentic and you care about these people as people and not as customers, and you walk in their shoes and you ride the highs with them and you ride the lows with them it's so different it's so different and i think again like they've learned a lot from me but more so i've learned so much from them you know and and all the things that i learned at arbitrum like you better believe that i've taken them to hash flow and then some but um but again i feel like my marketing experience in web3 has literally exponentially grown just by living in the trenches with these people. And, uh, and I still live in the trenches and I always probably will. So, yeah, yeah so that's, that's, uh, that's pretty much it. Yeah. So I think people are over dividing this web three marketing strategy to web two, but I think yeah. essentially, I think I absolutely agree with you is that essentially you need to care about these people. You need to care about your different needs developer have the same need like marketing and people who hold your token or you know the shareholders have different needs you need to yeah. create content and also create different service and really care about them right it's the same really, in terms yeah. of web3 and web2 yes yeah. Right? yeah you yeah. really have to care and, and even you know at amazon which i know sounds crazy like i cared about our customers there too i mean 
um, you know, when I got there, they wouldn't work with, you know, hip hop artists for various reasons at, you know, at the HQ level. And, you know, I sat down with some very smart people and said, like, I think this is outdated. Let's, let's talk about this. Let's figure it out. And now they do. Right. And so it's really just taking care of other people. And like the best analogy I can give you is, you know, anyone that's lived in crypto for more than one cycle um, has gotten rugged at some point, you know, it's, it's the, it's the battle scar that we all wear. Um, but, you know, recently I, there was a community member that got rugged by a project and, um, he was really upset. And what did I do? I sent him a, a PFP. I sent him a free PFP. And then what happened right after I sent him a PFP, 10 of my friends sent him a PFP. And so he literally sent me a message and said, listen, man, like, I'm still so down. I'm still so hurt, but like, you're the reason I'm still here right now. And these guys are the reason that I'm still here right now. And now this guy's like a part of their alpha channel. He's joining their allegiance in the hash first, but it's like, those are the types of events and stories for me that like, keep me motivated, keep me in this industry. And, and honestly, just like, keep me going, you know? Oh, wow. Yeah. What a touching story. I always, I wasn't really <laughs> expecting uh, that kind of narrative, but yeah, that would be, really nice to hear and it's it's not common in web3 isn't it web3 is talking about talking. how do i ma manipulate the price of the token and everything like that yes yeah it's it's not common in web3 it's not common in web2 what i will say though in web3 is like you know when i look mm -hmm. at founders kind of across the industry there's you know there's different types of people i think there's there are definitely other founders um, many of which have, have become friends of mine where they're here for the same reasons that I am, right? Like they'd love to retire young. They'd love to never work a corporate job again, but that's not their number one motivator, right? Um, then there's other folks where I think again, you know, maybe they were successful in web two. They realize this is the new opportunity. And again, it is, it is about kind of personal gain, but again, they're still doing something that's going to better the world, or they're still doing something that's going to better, you know, um, um, the future for, for younger generations. And then I think you have, you know, like the bad actors and manipulators, but, um, but candidly, I think, you know, as a startup investor in, in D2C and other industries, it's really no different from, from any other industry, in my opinion, you know, agree. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. agree. Okay. Okay. Let's move on to the second question as well, Sean, and uh, that will be, yeah. um, well, uh, that, that brought up to a discussion. Okay. In terms of what makes a successful chain or ecosystem. In the general, it can be L1, yep. it can be L2, it can be even be DeFi, um, DeFi yeah. chain also. Um, turns out there is no mm, like universal standard of measuring the success, the succeed and the metrics about it. Like it's not developer numbers. Other than that, BNB would be the top chain. It's not the capital. Other than that, it would be. If it's it, Hedera Avalanche have the most incentive program, right? Yet ended up pretty much the least developer yep. uh, in a competition. And it's not even TVL because Chon, if you think of Chon, um, three main projects was, you know, contributed to the 99% of the TVL. It's not a very healthy ecosystem. Mm -hmm. That brought up to a very interesting um, um, topic to be discussed, I think for both of us and for listeners to, you know, think about is that if I am a developer, I want mm -hmm. to invest my time and that's very valuable in terms of the web three building gate. How would I, how would I, um, how would I measure in terms of, especially an early developer, 
chain. Mm -hmm. uh, what's the metric that makes me say, hey, I want to develop on that chain? Not, of course, grants will be a very you know major major incentive, but what else? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll I'll talk about grants for a second, and then I'll kind of jump in. Um, Great. The grant stuff is very interesting because when I was at Arbitrum, we had no grants program, right? Yes, that's what I was, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so, um, you know, what would happen, I'll, I'll give you kind of the, the story, is, you know, a new project would be in development. Um, some projects are going to raise from, you know, traditional VCs, you know, up in Silicon Valley. Um, others like Hashflow are going to raise from, you um, what I would call crypto native VCs, right? So the dragonflies, the electrics of the world, some a hybrid, you know, for various reasons. Um, some are probably just going to go the angel round. And then candidly, I know great teams that have fully bootstrapped, right? Because I think what makes this industry so different is this notion of, of communal ownership, right? And mm -hmm. if to your point, you're able to build a passionate, thriving, real community um, that can be enough. And, and I've seen that before. And so, you know, with Arbitrum, I think there's a couple of things I would, I would say, um, the community was a hundred percent real and still is a hundred percent real. Um, and I think like the best way to explain that is I didn't do pretty much any paid marketing, right? Um, I didn't advertise on Twitter, which, which I, I don't believe in for a slew of different reasons. One of which is because, with the current, you know, safety and things like that on the platform, there's a lot of, you know, scammers and things advertising there. And to be honest with you, like there was a part of me that said, even though that could be a great awareness play for us, um, what I also don't want is I don't want a scammer to replicate my ads mm -hmm. and then and basically, you know, impersonate me and then get people to click on their ads and then drain their wallets, right? So for me, it wasn't just about, I don't think this is the right thing to do ethically, but also like, I want to protect my community. And that was a big thing for me. And even at Hashflow, like mm. you'll see me put out threads sometimes around, um, you know, personal safety tips that I use when I trade, you know, things like that. And that's really just me trying to give back and say to folks, like, I know a lot of you guys are new. I know you may not have been through an entire cycle yet. Um, here are some tools like wallet cards, a great one. Um, or here are some tips to just prevent yourself from, you know, getting in trouble. Um, and so, and that I think goes back to, again, what you were talking about, that just notion of like really caring about the people and the community, right? Because because I think it's important for any project to really take a step back and go, who are these people, right? Who is my community? They're not customers, they're your co-owners, right? And, you know, again, if you're a startup or, or even at an Amazon where like we were compensated quite a bit in stock, like ownership mentality, you treat owners and customers very differently, right? Um, I've always treated owners and customers the same way, but most people don't, right? And so I think, again, just taking that that mentality of these are my co-owners, not my customers. How would I treat my co-owners? Like, that's that's a big thing, right? Um, the second is what I would call like, like BWOM, so WMM, word of mouth marketing. Um, I think if you think about, you know, crypto Twitter and Telegram and, you know, Discord and whatever, I mean, really what you're trying to do is you're trying to build, you know, your core customer base. Um, and you're trying to build so much brand love that they want to build as much as you want to build. And again, that goes back to this customer mentality. But I think, you know, when I go back to like Arbitrum, for example, you know, my goal was to was to raise these people up. Right. So when I found active community members, I personally, as CMO, was retweeting them and helping drive their own followings and their own growth. Because, again, 
just like projects, their growth is my growth. Their voice is my voice, right? And yep. so it's a very different mentality, but it's one that I wish more people understood because um, it really does benefit you in the end. It really does, right? Um, and I think aside from that, like going back to kind of the community piece, like I, I really did live in the community. I still do. I mean, I have, you know, former, um, you know, community members there where they now have the black and white hearts, you know, that's, that's mm -hmm. Ashla. Um, I was the blue and orange hearts before, which, you know, fun fact, nice little kind of nod to, to history for me. Um, but, you know, I'll still attend their Twitter spaces, even if there's 20 people in them and, you know, someone launches, you know, a new uh, podcast, I'll retweet it to my, you know, 25,000 followers because I want them to win. I want them to succeed. And then I think even from, you know, just when we think about like incentives in this industry or grants or things like that, I'm a big, big believer in, in giving back, right? Because again, these are the people that are building you. These are the people that are helping you grow and scale. Why would you not incentivize them properly for doing that? And so like one thing you'll see with the hash first, for example, is it's not only an opportunity to bring communities together, which I, I love, but it's also an opportunity to bring utility to these communities, which a lot of these project founders love. But then I'm also going to literally give back, right? And I think that's what like Web3 is all about. So, so I think I think that's that's a big part of it. Um, and then the other thing that I would kind of call out is, you also have to really think about your customers like as individuals. You can't think of them as as one and the same. So. You know, going back to the joke, you know, you and I had about launching, you know, 20 Twitter handles in 20 languages. Uh, that doesn't mean that I don't care about other countries or other languages. It couldn't be further from the truth. Um, you know, what I tend to do is I, you know, again, I'm a data guy from Amazon. I've got at Hashel, I've got Amazon data scientists on retainer. But like I know right now, you know, the 10 most important languages tied to our, our current community. Right. Mm -hmm. And so what you'll start to see fairly soon is more and more content for those communities, but not in all the same places, right? So you and I both know mainland China, it's Telegram, right? So what am I gonna, what am I gonna do? I'm gonna make sure that I'm creating Mandarin content specifically for Telegram so that that audience can absorb the same information that the English audience can in the place that they live, right? Or another example of that would be, there's a lot of normies out there, you know, let's drive some more liquidity to the market. But folks on Instagram, folks on TikTok, folks on LinkedIn, folks on YouTube, uh, different audiences, right? So, you know, on YouTube, I might, for example, create more utilitarian content um, that educates people about wallet safety and best practices and things like that. You know, on Instagram, I might do things about what is DeFi. I might start much higher level mm -hmm. and meet them where they're at in that journey and really service what I think their need is, right? So on that platform, their need is probably understanding education right versus on ct right now you know i've got like the dgens um shout out to my dgens um you know those folks tend to be a little more sophisticated but again i don't disregard the fact that there's different levels of sophistication so going back to what i was talking about with the hashbers that's why i'm creating or i should say we're creating um this kind of daily dexter component to the hashbers because my goal with that is there are you know i know who the top 100 traders are on ct i do Nope. Uh, I would say about 50 of them have become very close personal friends. Um, I do growth marketing sessions with them. I put them on the podcast. I, I retweet them. I really want to help them succeed, right? Their success is awesome. Hmm. But, but again, I've got a lot of friends who are just trying to figure out who's the right person to follow. Um, how do I read a candlestick? What does this term even mean? And so that's my whole goal with, with, uh, with Hashverse is like to really kind of meet people where they currently are 
no matter where they are and help get them to that level that they're like as confident as I am when it comes to, you know, trading. Um, so I think that's part of it. And then um, the other thing that I've started doing actually at hash, hash flow, which I think is great is again, you know, I've used data and, and my, my own kind of resources to figure out who these top traders are. And so for the past two weeks on basic degenomics, which is our uh, Twitter space every Thursday at um, usually about 12 o'clock Eastern time, um, every week, I've actually been bringing on one of these top 25 traders, many of which have never been on a podcast before. Mm-hmm. And, and I do kind of like you, I mean, you're, you're a professional. I do a lot of pre-production with them. You know, they yeah. see the questions in advance. Um, there's no surprises. I don't want to make them uncomfortable. I just want to mm-hmm. give them a great platform. And, um, and I also candidly, I calm their nerves. You know, there's a lot of folks out there that um, English isn't their first language. They're really self-conscious about, you know, their accent. And I just say to them, I'm like, listen, man, like, I get it. Like, I get maybe you're uncomfortable or maybe you're nervous about it, but like, don't be because, because all these people, self-included, they want to learn from you and they want to hear from you and they're going to gain from you and they're not going to judge you. If anything, they're just going to be grateful to have had that opportunity. And so what I've been doing with these traders from all over the world is like, literally asking the questions that I want to know, like, Mm -hmm. how do you, like, when do you exit? When do you enter? Like, what's a real narrative? What's a fake narrative? How long do narratives last? And I'll tell you, like, in these two past episodes that I've done, I've personally learned more as a trader, as a crypto trader, than I have from any other resource, right? Because because mm-hmm. what's, the best, what, what's the best way to learn something from the experts, right? Yeah. So if I can use my knowledge and my data to go find the experts, and then I can use my personal relationship to bring the experts in, and then the experts, you know, are comfortable and have a great opportunity. Well, you know what else happens? They tell each other. And then the next thing that happens is I start getting DMs from other guys and they want on. So it's really, again, like this symbiotic relationship of I'm not just I'm not just trying to get them on to help us grow. I'm not trying to just get them on to great, create great content for Hashflow. Like I want to help them. Right. So I promote them before the space. Um, you know, I create uh, YouTube videos out all that content. I tag them. I link it to their handles because, again, like their growth is my growth, my growth is the industry's growth. And, and that's, you know, what this industry is all about, you know, um, no. we're too small. I think the last thing I would add to that is like, we're too small. And I, I believe this in every industry, but like you never burn bridges, like you just don't, right. Um, mm-hmm. There's going to be people you love working with. There's going to be people you hate working with, but like, it is a small world. And I can't tell you how many times in my career, even at massive companies, I've run into people that I've worked with before in some capacity. And, I think, again, it's all about reputation. And, and for me, my reputation is is the nice guy that's always willing to help, that's always willing to go the extra mile. Um, and I think that that's, that's honestly benefited me a lot in, in my career, in my life. And so in this industry, it's a really small industry. And I'll be honest, like we have competitors, right? But mm-hmm. like, I don't hate all of our competitors. I don't, I don't want them all to shrivel up and die. Like I want us all to win together. Like you better believe I want to be at the top of the leaderboard, but that doesn't mean I don't want them to succeed also. And, mm-hmm. and even when, when you think about competitors, like coming from Arbitrum, which was the home of DeFi, a lot of these are my old partners. A lot of these are my old friends. And the other thing you'll see is, you know, a lot of people kind of move around the industry. So, you know, the next thing I know, this guy who's at a competitor is now head of growth at a new chain. And what does that mean? Mm-hmm. That means I can pick up the phone right now and say, I want to deploy in your chain. I want co-marketing. Like, how do we do this together? How do we grow together? And so I think for me, just on a personal level, by building my brand into what it's become, I think it's earned trust for me. I think it's very rare that I get a no when I ask for something because people know that one, I'm a good human. And two, 
I believe in giving back to them. You know. Yeah. So the, yeah. the market is big enough. Uh, everyone had a share of piece of cake. Especially when they create something that's valuable, for example, hash flow. So why don't we start with talking about the two features about hash flow? I think the one you mentioned about hash first. Um, tell me if I perceive this right. So sure. hash first, uh, it not necessarily need to introvert the, um, um, the NFT, but you use like in sort of like ID to to record people's trading activities, right? And then you divided them with like customer segmentations and you provide them with different beneficials like um, trading fees, discount and everything like that. But also people can use this as a filter to filter out those people who are the top traders who are losing money last month so that they can, as you said, you can follow the right one to not only follow them, but also sort of like copy trading. Um, <laughs> uh, and to just make money with them and you know yeah do i perceive this right because because me myself as i said uh, we have different uh, career, uh very similar career path because i yeah. i work in a chain now i have i'm a i'm a founder and also investor in a DeFi on zkc oh, nice. so Good i so 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 yeah for that DeFi protocol that's how i i might i was designing so yeah just, sure. just I'd love to hear yeah. the I mean, well, it's funny that you're saying this because like uh yes and no. Like you're not okay. you're not off, but what you're basically saying is is a little bit what I said at the beginning, which was here's what we're gonna build. How do we build the best possible experience? How do we drive as much user adoption as possible? How do we incentivize these people to not just come but wanna stay and wanna bring others in for the ride? But then I think what you're hitting, which you know, shout out to you for being a gigabrain is what I call like the side effects, right? Because mm -hmm. I have tools that I use that I have access to um, that help me find the top traders. Um, I also, you know, again, being friends with the top traders, talk to the top traders. But I think for a lot of normal people, to your point, like it, it is very hard. Um, yep. One of the things I always say, which is a little bit of a little bit of alpha, but I would honestly say like, go back to our YouTube channel and watch past episodes because there is so much alpha in especially the recent episodes with traders, or even we did an episode with WalletGuard about, um, about wallet safety and cybersecurity, which I thought was just like full of great tips. Um, but, but, you know, at the end of the day, like, yeah, that's, that's kind of a side effect. So, so when I think about the Ashverse, um, like I'll, I'll give you a little alpha, I'll walk you through a little bit of the experience. So what, what's gonna happen is you will, quote unquote, enter the Ashverse, you'll connect your wallet, and then depending on what communities you're already a part of, the hash first will, will detect that, right? As long as you're connecting the right wallet. And then when you do that, what'll happen is it'll say, oh, we know you're a part of these communities. And I think what I would call out, which, which might be a surprise is it's not all NFT communities. We have NFT communities, we have GameFi communities, we have trader communities from all over the world. Um, we have research communities. Um, we have media communities. I mean, there's all different types of communities. And, and part of that is that it's not just that the NFTs are down, you know, NFT go, by the way, great resource if you're an NFT trader. But, uh, but again, I think web three is a lot of different communities. And one of the things that I talk about with CT in general is I don't think that the average person really understands what CT is. I think everyone thinks CT is one community. It's not, you've got NFT traders over here. You've got developers over here. 
you've got traders over here and they don't always overlap. And, and to be honest, they don't always like each other and they don't always respect each other. Not at all. Uh, <laughs> not at all. And so, and so, you know, the joke that I have is like when I was in high school, um, you know, years ago, um, I was the kid that everybody got along with, right? Like I wasn't a part of one group or another group, but like I got invited to every party, right? Huh. And, and I think that mentality is like one that I've, you know, that's, that's traveled with me through college and traveled through, uh, with me through, uh, through life. Um, but as a result of, you know, being at Arbitrum and, and also at Hashflow, I've really immersed myself in all these different communities and I understand these different communities and I understand what they care about. I understand what they don't care about. I understand where they're underserved. Um, because again, these are friends. These are, these are real people that I talk to every day. And so when we were building the Hashburst, I think my MO was, how do we create something that actually brings all these communities together for the first time, right? Because they're not together right now. Um, the other thing that I would add is I think, again, you know, most folks on, on CT, you know, we, we like to say based, but like everybody's competitive. Everybody's like a lot of people, you know, grew up on video games, self-included, you know, Dungeons and Dragons, you know, engine building board games, but like, you know, it's human nature. Everybody's got a little bit of competition. So, so basically what will happen is, you know, you'll connect your wallet and then it'll identify what communities you're a member of. And then what it'll do is it'll actually unlock exclusive characters. So we have over 140 characters in the hashers and they are, they're dope. They're dope, dope, dope. Yeah, they're really, really cool. And so what'll happen is you'll basically pick your character. And again, if it's, if it's a, a variation tied to one of the communities that you're a part of, you'll get to join that allegiance, right? And so what'll happen in the hashers is, you know, you're gonna come to the hashers every day. Um, and there's going to be a series of things that you can do every day, right? So there are quests. So shout out to the Arbitrum Odyssey. <laughs> yep. There's, yep. You know, when I, when I find something that works, I stick to it. That's like another marketing one-on-one thing. But um, we're going to have different quests. Um, but a lot of those quests are going to immerse you into this like rich storytelling and world that we built with Marvel, which who knows where that ends up one day, but I already have some plans. Um, there's going to be, like I said, these, you know, daily, daily Dex requests to up-level your knowledge of DeFi, up-level your, your trading skills. Um, there's also going to be, I don't, I don't want to reveal too much here, but there's going to be other things that have to do with, um, participation. Like how active are you? How engaged are you? Like, are you here for the right reasons? Are you here trying to game the system? Like I'm smart enough to figure that stuff out. Um, and that I think in general, you know, all of that will then affect your leaderboard ranking, right? And, um, and the other thing that I would say, which is like a little bit of alpha for you is there's also, um, going to be something called swap streaks. And so when you go on hash flow every day and you make a swap, what will effectively happen is it'll identify that that's happened. And then you'll earn, you know, the XP that day for making that swap. And if you're consistent with your swaps, and by the way, like one big thing for me in this industry is accessibility. So you don't have to be a whale, you know, to, to do this stuff. You know, I really wanted this to be something that whales and newbies and underserved folks you know can all participate in and all have fun in but what will happen is you'll you'll be able to do all of this no matter no matter what even if you're not in a community you can still join and then you'll be able to earn you know this xp and then what will happen is that xp will actually result in tangible rewards right mm -hmm. so your you know commitment to the hash first your support of hash flow your engagement like is rewarded right because i believe in that i think that's really important 
And then, um, and then, and then from there, which is kind of going to where, what you were talking about is, you know, you'll have obviously your single player leaderboard. What's cool there to your point is you'll start to be able to see who's most active and who's participating and all of that. Um, and you might even say, wow, like all of these guys from this community are in like the top 10, like maybe I want to be a part of that community. And you know what that is? That's not just me driving utility for that community because now they have a special character, but that's me driving customers or I guess I should say real community members for that community, which benefits the project, benefits the founders, benefits other community members. And so again, it's this whole notion of, of, of symbiotic uh, benefit. Um, then what we'll have is, is basically this opportunity, and this is very cool, where um, the communities will be able to battle against each other. And I won't reveal exactly how that works, but I would say it's a little bit of kind of everything that we talked about with a little bit of what I would call you know DeFi trading, but again, um, you don't have to be a whale to win, and I think that's I think that's important. I think that's something that a lot of projects forget about is they they don't they don't think about everybody around the world. Um, and so what'll happen is you'll have a um, you'll have an allegiance-based leaderboard where you will then see kind of which communities on top, which communities on bottom. And my hope there is that what'll happen is those community members will rally together and say, "Guys, like we want the prize, <laughs> like." Yeah join our allegiance, you know, come every day, you know, make your swaps, right? Like everybody band together as, as, you know, brothers and sisters. Um, and you know what that's going to do? That's going to benefit them. But then to my point on the arbitrage stuff, that's going to benefit us. Right. Yes. So I really tried to, with the team, you know, we have incredible engineers here, like incredible, um, you know, most of which come from, from big tech, but we really tried to build something that again, like empowers communities, supports communities, rewards communities, revives communities, um, and builds community, right? Because like, I'm not gonna lie, one of the best things about crypto, and, and this is always the joke, is like, it's not about the size of your bag, it's about the friends you made along the way, but like, I have met some of the most intellectually curious, cool, awesome people in this industry that I have in my entire career. And if I can replicate that experience for everyone else in crypto, like, I have a feeling everyone would, would, would feel the same way that I do and probably never want to leave this industry. So, so I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> okay, great. Sounds yeah. like just to be, a, to be a conclusion, okay? I think what you have done uh, for the Harshverse is making DeFi and Quest not necessarily interesting and yeah. has a certain level of learning curve mm -hmm. to be a game, to be a yeah. very interesting video game like Warcraft. And that's, yep. I believe, is crucial for people to, you know, if you're not crypto native to get in, you make this, um, you know, learning curve just interesting. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yep. Um, I think so. Yeah. And, all, and also that's beneficial for the house flow and also the option. When, yeah. when is yeah. going to release? Like what time? I can't tell you, but soon, you my friends. Um, okay. Uh, we're, like, I'll, give you the, I'll give you the alpha. So, um, so, and actually this is a best practice that I don't think a lot of projects do. So, um, and this is like a web two strategy, but I, I build my own focus groups. So what I do is I find very active, very authentic community members, many of which I know on a personal level. So at Hashflow, a lot of these guys came from the Arbitrum community. And yeah. to be honest, they're still part of that community also. They're part of two now. And what I, what I did with our team uh, probably about two weeks ago is because you know the way i talked about this you've got like you know phase one and phase two both of which are you know going to launch soon um but i 
brought those communities members in and I gave them early access. And I basically, you know, uh, I briefed them. I said, you guys are going to get early access. You're all under friend VA. Um, mm -hmm. You know, here's what I, here's what I want you to do. And then I sent out a survey at the end um, and said, you know, do me a favor, fill out the survey. And then what else did I do? I incentivized them for filling out that survey. Like they got rewarded in multiple ways for doing that. And then as a result, the people that actually did it are now in a, in a completely separate channel where they're like my go-to guys for everything now. And over time, I'll bring more people into that. But the reason why I did that is because when you think about who's in my focus group or our focus group, I should say, um, I had developers, I had GameFi developers, I had, you know, TreasureDAO GameFi lovers and enthusiasts. Um, mm -hmm. I had noobs um, because again, what I was trying to do is I was trying to say, how do I represent the possible, you know, user base of when this thing launches mm -hmm. and how can I use that to my benefit? And so, you know, some of the questions were things like, how was the onboarding experience for you? And, you know, I had, I think number one, like, you know, uh, easy peasy, Japanesey. And then like number five was like, <laughs> but that's great for us because then when I look at all those, you know, responses, you know, it gives me an average, right? And I want my average to be one. I don't, I don't remember what it came out to, but let's say it's three. Then I sit down with our eng team and our product team, which I'm also a part of. And we go, all right, how do we get this from a two to a one? How do we get this from a three to a two? You know, whatever that is. Um, you know, other things I, I often ask for are like, you know, things like, did you find the storytelling interesting? Like, was it rich enough for you? Was it creative enough for you? Because again, I, I really think in general, like you've got one opportunity to make a first impression. You want to make a great first impression or else you're going to lose them. And, and if you make an incredible first impression, you know, what's going to happen. They're going to tell other people and then you're going to make more great first impressions. And so that's kind of the whole goal there is like, how do I just make sure this is the best user experience, onboarding experience, humanly possible. The other thing that we did, which, um, which to be honest with you is actually part of why we, we pushed up the launch was, um, we wanted again, you know, accessibility, something I worked on at, at Amazon a lot, um, mm -hmm. is um, we wanted to make this accessible to everyone, right? Mm -hmm. um, not just crypto natives, because there's already, you know, so many challenges, you know, to, to onboard. Um, shout out to account abstraction. Um, but, but, but that being said, you know, things you'll notice, like for example, we have a .com, you know, we don't, we don't have a .io. Um, when you go to the hash versus site, once it's live, it's gonna look and feel like, a, a gaming site. It's not going to look and feel like a Web3 site. There's no, um, there's no giant, you know, um, uh, uh, document center for it or things like that. And then the other thing that you'll find is when you, um, when you first join it, um, we have these onboarding quests. And what those onboarding quests are going to do is they're going to take you through everything. They're going to teach you, you know, how to, how to play the game, how to earn points, you know, strategies you can use, you know, all these different things. So, so that was not by chance. That was that was all of us saying like, how do we make sure that the onboarding experience is just as seamless for a crypto native as it is a total noob, right? Um, and that's also again something that I don't think a lot of projects think about enough, um, or even put enough attention towards. Um, so yeah, yeah, great. Um, let's start with the uh, final question, which everybody really cares. Like you, uh, according to the resume, eight months. You were not really crypto native, and was you were in the Amazon for a while, as you have introduced. Um, what was what was the one thing that makes you decided, hey, I want to get into the Web three, and what advice would you give it to for those 
because a lot of our listeners are web two marketers who are who can't find a path to really get it. They are very very interested in the field um, and how how can they find opportunities, but not to yeah. learn a new job. Yeah, so I'll, I think like maybe the best thing to do is kind of give you my my story because I think it's a path that anyone can follow. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I can also, you know, remind me at the end, I can give you some other kind of tips and things that, that I give to a lot of other people. But um, so my story was uh, COVID hits, um, big believer in mental health and physical health. And so, you know, during COVID, I live in LA. I think for anyone that's not familiar, LA locked down a lot more aggressively than the rest of the world, um, or at least the rest of the United States. And uh, it was pretty depressing, right? So what I started doing is I went outside every day and I would go on these two hour walks, you know, get some sunshine, get some exercise, you know, good for the mind, good for the body, you know, all that. And um, where it started was like, I had already been like crypto curious, um, but I didn't know anything, you know, I was a total noob. Um, And so what I started doing is I started listening to podcasts and um, what I would say about podcasts, that's, that's a really important thing to know. And, And if you remind me at the end, I'll give you kind of, what do I listen to? What do I read? That kind of stuff. But I started listening to podcasts. Um, I didn't realize at the time that most of these are unfiltered shills by founders. Um, so, you know, what I heard, I, you know, I believed, um, which you shouldn't do. Um, but regardless, I think the more I listened to it as someone that, you know, candidly, like did influencer marketing before it existed, you know, built digital media companies, worked with Google, um, you know, I actually was one of the folks that helped bring a lot of celebrities onto Facebook um, in the early days. Um, long story short, I think, um, I think, you know, with that, I've always just been very intellectually curious. And when I worked at Amazon, you know, I, my, my bread and butter at the beginning was AI. I worked in Alexa, but then I was too interested in too many things to limit myself. And so fast forward, I'm working in cloud computing. I'm working in machine learning. I'm working in autonomous vehicles. Um, because one, I just found it interesting. Two, I felt like I could learn something. And three, you know, obviously these are the types of places that the future is going, right? So I'm listening to podcasts and I do, you know, again, have this kind of 360 background. I built companies, um, I've invested in companies, I know how things work. And so I started to really kind of understand like the total crypto ecosystem. So, you know, I started with things like Ethereum and Bitcoin. Then I moved into all ones. Then I moved into layer twos. You know, then I moved into various sectors like DeFi, GameFi, you know, NFTs, et cetera. But I really um, listened and listened and listened to hundreds and hundreds of hours of podcasts. And I think over time, what I realized was I, and this is kind of how I think of, of, of the industry, you know, I was like, you know what Ethereum is? Ethereum is the deep web, you know, not to be confused with the dark web, very different, but the deep web, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, for anyone that doesn't know what the deep web is, you know, when you're on the internet, you're, you're looking at what's called the visible web, right? But the majority of the internet is not visible and you don't see it, right? And so I looked at Ethereum as kind of the deep web and I, I love analogies um, in general. And so then I said, okay, you know, so what alt ones are is alternative deep webs. Got it. Okay, I get mm-hmm. it. Then I was like, what's a layer two? A layer two is a scaling solution, right, for, you know, layer one. So I was like, well, what's a scaling solution in, in you know, web two? It's, it's Amazon Web Services. It's, you know, Google Cloud. It's, you know, Microsoft Azure. It's all these different things. So then at that point, I was like, okay, I got it. I understand what layer two is. And then I think layer three is where people start to kind of lose it. But 
the best analogy I can give is, and most people don't know this, but like Netflix would be the equivalent to like a layer three, right? Um, because Netflix is built on top of Amazon Web Services, which is built on top of the internet, right? And so then I started to understand it that way. And I said, okay, these are all the you know, different sectors. Um, and actually a little tip for folks that I really love, ChatGBT. Um, mm -hmm. I wish ChatGBT existed when I first got into crypto, but like this is the number one tip I give because I, I actually hire a lot of folks with no crypto experience. And then I try to make them native as fast as possible. And it's, it's, it's pretty damn fast. But, um, but I, I always say, you know, use ChatGBT to create analogies for you. So example being, you say things like, ChatGBT, explain MEV to me like I'm five years old. ChatGBT, explain oracles to me like I'm five years old. ChatGBT, explain those. And it'll, it'll output these analogies, you know, using children's toys and things like that, that anyone can understand. And, and um, I use that strategy with my current people. And, and I will say it really does uplevel their knowledge base like tenfold very, very quickly. Um, okay. So then once I understood kind of all the layers and, and all the different kind of sectors, then I candidly put on my like traditional investor hat. And I was like, well, where's the opportunity, right? Pretty obvious. Like, I think it was I was like, AWS, behemoth company. <laughs> so that opportunity made for you, right? <laughs> it just kind of made sense. And I'll be honest, yeah. like when I reached out to all these companies, I mean, you better believe that I mentioned AWS yeah. in my email. Um, but, um, but yeah, I, I just, you know, I looked at all the sectors and I just said, like, I understand infrastructure. I like infrastructure. Infrastructure is the building blocks of everything. It's what powers everything. And so, you know, full transparency, I reached out to, to pretty much every major layer two at the time, or at least the top 10. Um, and I interviewed with, with pretty much all of them. And then for me, it really boiled down to like a whole slew of things from like, who are the investors? Um, you know, were the founders um, doxxed on LinkedIn? You know, what did I think about their experience? Um, you know, am I seeing a real community? Um, you know, am I seeing growth? You know, all these different like variables you look for, but but then at that point in time, I kind of knew I wanted layer two. I knew I wanted Arbitrum. Um, and then I think like the, the, the tip that I would give is, you know, the way I got the job is I literally sent a message to the CEO on LinkedIn. And I think a lot of people don't realize that there's actually a huge talent deficit in, in Web3. And, and one other thing I would say, like knowing maybe who your listener base is, is like there's an enormous talent deficit in Mandarin speaking folks in Web3. Because most folks realize that there's a huge opportunity in Mandarin speaking countries, but they don't know where to find them. Like I've been a global guy now for uh, 15 years, right? So it's very easy for me to go find people in other countries, but you know, full transparency, I don't have a huge Rolodex in mainland China. I don't have a huge Rolodex in Hong Kong. I don't have a huge Rolodex in Taiwan, right? So, but what I do have now is a huge Rolodex of Web3 people and I'm leveraging to find those people, right? So like mm -hmm. I had an interview with someone in Singapore today, I had an interview with someone in um, in France the other day for, for my team. Um, but I think don't forget like how much value you can provide because again, there's, there's a huge deficit. Um, but I think again, you know, sending a message to those people, um, you know, not on Twitter, right. Think about how many people are bombarding them on Twitter, but you know, they're probably, um, they're probably on LinkedIn. They're probably on email. And to be honest with you, they're probably already looking, even though you don't know it. Um, and that was, that was kind of what happened is, is basically I would say, out of maybe the top 10 that I reached out to, you know, eight of them said to me, like, we've been looking for someone for two years. <laughs> and uh, then even cash flow, when I, when I interviewed here, you know, the founders were like full transparency. We've been trying to find you for two years. 
Um, and then even to this day, you know, I, I won't name names, but like I had major alt ones, competitive L2s, you know, blue chip brands all reach out to me because again, there's just not enough talent today. And I think one of the challenges for, for Web2 folks is like, this world is very complex. And as a marketer, marketing in Web3 is very different from marketing in Web2. And so even though there might be a lot of folks that want to jump over, um, they just don't have the skill set yet. And, and what I would say to that is you can go self-learn, you know, listen to podcasts, read articles, read white papers, um, you know, do um, things like Binance Academy, you know, or if you want to get into coding, go to uh, Crypto Zombies, you know, things like that. But but, um, but I am primarily self-taught, you know, I, I taught myself growth marketing, I taught myself digital marketing, I taught myself media buying over the years, and I've gotten very, very sophisticated at it. Um, but, but now's the time, like teach yourself, like up-level your skill set. And I would say like a couple of things I would say, one is, you know, obviously learning, like reading things, listening to the right things, all of that, very, very important. The second thing I would say is um, is getting active in communities. And, and again, there's different types of communities. So I'll give you some examples. Like there are marketing communities, all different types. Um, my favorite marketing community, which I'm a member of, um, is called Safari, which is a growth marketing DAO. Um, it is, uh, they accept a new class every semester. They're very selective. But again, like if you know the right person or you exhibit a passion for it, like you're going to get in. Um, and what they do is every, pretty much every week, a different marketer like myself comes on and teaches the other marketers or, you know, projects like, like layer three, you know, the questing and stuff, you know, they'll come on and talk about their platform. And, and it actually was great when layer three came on, they, uh, or it was, yeah, I think it was layer, that was galaxy. I think it was galaxy. Actually, they, uh, did a whole presentation about the arbitrum odyssey. And I was like, I'm familiar with that. <laughs> um, so I think again, like that's a great place. Um, what I would be careful of is like in terms of the marketing communities, there's probably like five or six others that are that are pretty notable. You just want to look at like who the user, who the member base is, because what you don't want to do is join, in my opinion, a marketing community with a bunch of other Web2 marketers looking to get into Web3. You want to join a community with Web3 marketers that you can learn from, right? So that's that's one example. Um, another example is like obviously NFT communities. Um, and I know that NFT communities are not always... Um, yeah, it's S-A-F-A-R-Y, Safari DAO. Um, and then for um, for NFT communities, like there's two things I would kind of say. One thing is um, I understand that they are not accessible to everyone. I understand that sometimes floor prices can be a limitation. Um, that being said, there are different NFT communities that are composed of different members, right? And when you join one of those communities and you become an active member of that community, you're now a part of that club and those are now your friends and those are now people that you can learn from and work with and vibe with. Um, so I'll give you like a couple examples, like, you know, one NFT community that I, I really respect is, uh, is Pudgy Penguins. I think Luca is incredible. Um, but I think of Pudgy Penguins is like the builder community, right? So in that community, there's a lot of founders, there's a lot of developers, um, there's a lot of just what I would call like builders in general, like me. Um, but again, like it's not, you know, it's not super accessible. It's, it's expensive to get in there. Um, another example I could give you is, uh, funny enough, my PFP come by pandas. So I would say come by pandas is really more of like kind of a male lifestyle community a little bit, even though it's, you know, inclusive to women, but these tend to be traders. These tend to be uh, car enthusiasts, uh, maybe some gamblers, um, maybe some like UFC fans, but, um, I've met some really cool people in that community and, um, 
And again, like a lot of those guys have said to me, like, we want to be a part of the Hashverse, you know? Um, so, so those are two communities that I really respect. And um, the other thing that's sometimes cool is sometimes these communities will have like what I call like a secondary community, which is, you know, example, like beans to Azuki or little pudgies, the pudgy penguins. But, but I love those for, for two reasons. One, um, I don't think joining community should be about getting in low and selling high. I think it's really about buying your way into a membership club that you really want to be a part of. And, you know, hopefully fingers crossed, you can time it right and get in at a lower membership cost than another one. But like Little Pudgies is a great example of this where, you know, a Little Pudgy right now is probably a 10th of the price of a Pudgy Penguin. Um, and it's like a little brother, a little sister. And by having that, you're still a part of that community, right? And so I do like the um, the derivative collection model purely from like an accessibility standpoint. I think that's really cool. Um, so that's like NFT communities. Um, and then I'll, I'll give you like, there's a couple others that are interesting, like Treasure Dow is a cool one. There's a lot of different communities in there. Um, those tend to be Arbitrum natives. They tend to be GameFi enthusiasts. Um, they tend to be very vocal and very uh, engaged on CT. So those, those are my homies. Um, and then the other type of community that I, well, there's a couple more. There's the, another type of community that I really like is uh, trader communities, right? So I am a trader, I do trade. Um, I don't, I don't know if I go as far as to say I'm a, a good trader or an expert trader, but I do think I'm better than the average. Um, and, and part of why I'm, I'm better than the average is I join trader communities, right? So a couple examples of those that I really like, um, there's one called, uh, Fungi Alpha, which is run by a guy named Lewis Cooper. Uh, that's a private telegram community. I believe it's invitation only, but, um, it's, it's incredible. I mean, great research, um, you know, finding small cap gems, technical analysis, things like that. Um, another one that I really like, uh, and both of these, funny enough, are going to be in the Hashverse, which is really cool, is called uh, Primeape Style, which is on Arbitrum. Um, that's run by a guy named uh, Xerox Thade, very, very cool guy. Um, and what that is, is if you buy a uh, Primeapes PFP, um, that then unlocks a private Discord community, uh, which is very similar to Fungi Alpha. So a lot of uh, traders, a lot of influential traders, like once you get into these communities, you'll see some names and be like, whoa, that guy's got, you know, 30,000 followers, 50, like, but no, these are like active members of these communities because again, you know, they want to surround themselves with like-minded individuals that they can learn from and they can, you know, share tips with. So, so those tend to be two that I really like. Um, and then the other thing that I would call out, you know, knowing that obviously you're an APAC is like, there's also a lot of great, um, there's a lot of great like geo-based communities. So uh, one that I really like a lot, I did an event with these guys at, uh, at IVS Kyoto is, uh, is Kudasai. Um, and Kudasai is a Japanese trader-based community. And um, I, I don't exactly know how you enter, but I do know that they have an NFT collection. So my assumption is you probably buy the NFT and that then gets you kind of into that community. But, um, but a lot of these communities, to be honest with you, they'll have public channels, they'll have public, um, like Kudasai, for example, has a public telegram. Um, they tend to do a Twitter space every morning Pacific time. I'm not sure what that is in APAC. Um, but I, I love those guys. Like shout out to, you know, Crypto Baby, Atoshi. Like they're just, they're really cool people. And um, when I went to that event in, in uh, Kyoto, which we hosted with them, uh, I just met like exceptional individuals from, um, you know, folks running family funds to high profile traders to, you know, heads of um, financial institutions. And um I just was kind of shocked by the caliber of individuals that remember that community. So I think again, like, you know, that's three, I'll give you the fourth. Um, the fourth is uh, researchers. So there are a lot of folks that are researchers and sometimes you'll find these researchers in these trading communities. Cause they're like, I like doing the research. I like doing the analysis, but maybe I'm not a trader. 
Um, but one one research community that I actually really love is uh, is Blockmates. So Blockmates is um, they're uh, they're based out of the UK. They have a podcast which I actually really like, and we can talk again about like resources. Um, but they actually just created it's really funny. They created this P, uh, this NFT called LARP live action uh, role playing. Like I don't know if you know that it's like a a, a joke thing here. Uh, Blockmates B L O C M A T E S, um, but it actually stands for live action research pass which basically then gets you into kind of the blockmates community. Um, but same thing, like I would argue that, you know, that's a great community, you know, similar to fungi alpha, similar to primates, but maybe a little bit more research and a little bit less like gem hunting and things like that. Um, but I really like, the, I really like those guys as well. Um, so that's a good example of a research community. And then, you know, candidly, I mean, there's so many, you just have to kind of dig around. Um, usually the best place, the best way to do it is just to ask other people, um, one little hot tip that I would give you is like, if you look at my, uh, Twitter profile, which I'll, I'll look at it right now for you. Cause this is actually like a nice little, like piece of alpha. Um, one of the best ways to find the communities that you want to be a part of is to see what communities people you admire and respect are a part of. Right. So like on my handle, for example, you see, um, a mushroom, right? That's, that's the emoji for fungi alpha. You see a panda, that's an emoji for Kunpai pandas. You see a carrot, that's an emoji for um, Lost Donkeys, which is a really cool uh, GameFi community on Arbitrum. Um, you see a banana, which is the emoji for primates. And then you see a, a lion, which is the emoji for Safari Down, right? So the average person probably looks at my profile and goes, I don't know what any of this is, but like, I don't know why no one's ever messaged me and said, hey, what do those emojis mean? You know, and I'll, of course I'll tell them, but I think that's a great example of like someone that maybe respects me as a marketer might be like, well, what communities is he in? What's worth his time? And then I tell them and go, oh God, like, so this must be like the best marketing community I want to be a part of. Right. So, um, and the other thing about emojis that I really love is like a lot of people don't realize this, but sometimes emojis signal like where people are from. So if you've ever seen, for example, like the two black chess pieces before, um, those are all DeFi guys down in, uh, in, in Nigeria. And I would say Nigeria, funny enough, like incredible research community, incredible developer community, um, a lot of folks that that honestly just want to learn and grow. But like when I see one of those, I know where they're coming from or there's other communities where I'll see it and go, oh, they're from Japan or whatever. So I think like understanding the emojis and what they mean can also um, unlock a lot of like opportunities and doors for you. So, so you know, learn them, research them, ask people what they are. Um, and so, yeah, that's pretty much it. And um, and what I would say is, again, when you're joining communities, like, don't let money be a a, a, a blocker for you. You know, there's there's always other communities that are free. Um, you know, again, like, learn how to be a good trader. You know, make some good trades, and then the next thing you know, you could be joining that other community that you really want to be a part of. You know, you kind of the same way you trade up. You know, in 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 crypto, you can still trade up in communities, right? And so you could say man, one day I'd love to be a pudgy, but like, I just can't afford that today. And then you've got to say to yourself, okay, well, what are the steps that I'm going to take that are going to get me there? Right. Um, so I think that's important. Um, and then in terms of just like other things, I'll, I'll, so I'll give you kind of like other tips in terms of getting a job and then, and then we can go into like the, uh, the quality content stuff. So, um, another tip that I have is that these jobs oftentimes don't live on LinkedIn or like traditional websites. So um, there's kind of two places that I usually look. One is VCs. So for example, Dragonfly um, and Pantera, I know for a fact, both have job boards on their websites 
and what they do, if you think about it, is, is Dragonfly has probably the largest portfolio of crypto investments because they were so early. So what they do is not only do they have a, a, um, a talent team at Dragonfly, but they also aggregate all the open roles from all their investment companies onto a singular job board. So if you go on Dragonfly's website right now, I think the last time I looked, there's like 650 open jobs around the world. Um, same with Pantera, right? So if you're like, man, where are all these good jobs? I don't see them on the Web3 job boards. They're on the VC job boards, right? Um, the other thing that I've seen, and we did this at Arbitrum. I don't know if others have followed suit, but one of the things um, we had a recruiter there that I really love, this guy named Bellman, Zero uh, X Recruiter is his handle. It's a great, great guy to follow. But um, but we used to talk quite a bit and I, I used to tell him, you know, I'm not the CMO of Arbitrum, I'm the CMO of the ecosystem. And um, I, I said to him one day, I was like, listen, you know, one of the things that I struggle with here is not every person that wants to work here is going to be a fit. Like they're not going to be a fit for what I need. Right. But I don't want to I don't want to just turn around and say, thanks for applying. You didn't get the job. I want to turn around and say, thanks for applying. You weren't a great fit, but this could be a great fit. Like I want to help move them forward. Right. So what we did was kind of the same thing. You know, we had an ecosystem of, you know, 500 plus projects building on top of Arbitrum. So we reached out to every single project and we started replicating the model. And so Arbitrum now has a um, same thing, a job board that I don't know the latest number, but again, you've got, you know, job opportunities across 500 plus projects. Um, and so that's what I would say is like, look for, and they're usually on a platform called Gitro, G-I-T-R-O, but look for what I call like aggregation job lists. So VCs are aggregating them, ecosystems are aggregating them, but those tend to be the places where you're going to find the most jobs. And then, and then also don't hesitate to, you know, uh, DM someone or if their DMs are closed, you know, direct tweet at someone and just say, hey, like any open roles right now, because most folks have open roles. Most folks will uh, will tell you about them. Um, that's another one. And then and then again, the community piece, like by joining these communities, you're probably joining them with other, you know, people that work at these projects or founders and, and don't don't um, think that for a second you can't go on Discord in the GM channel and say, hey, guys. Anybody work at layer zero, you know, anybody work at hash flow, nine times out of 10 out of a community of 10,000 people, someone will say yes. And then the next thing you know, you've got your, you've got your foot in the door. Um, I don't, between you and me, I'm not a big fan of cold emails because, you know, again, phishing attempts and things like that. Um, I don't reply to most emails, to be honest. Um, I think Twitter DMs are fine. I think the challenge there is you just have to realize that people are probably flooded. Um, so that's why a lot of times I say, you know, LinkedIn, um, or other platforms. And then the, the last piece of advice I would give is like, don't overdo it. Like, I think um, sometimes people send me literally like 10 paragraphs, their life story, like, no, like create a paragraph to hook me. Just, you know, here's who I am. Here's where I'm from. You know, here's why I'm passionate. Maybe here's a little bit about like why I could be a fit and limit it to like three or four sentences because three or four sentences is enough for me to say yes or no to taking a meeting. And then if I take the meeting, that's your opportunity to give me the 10 paragraphs and then some, right? That's your opportunity to sell me. But if you oversell up front, I think you're going to do yourself a disservice. Um, and then the other thing I would say is like, uh, this is kind of funny. I don't know if this translates over in Singapore, but like, don't be too thirsty. So like, do you know what that means or no? Yeah, yeah, thirsty. So like, it's it's like a dating term. So like, um, you know, you're trying to woo your partner and things like that. And um, if you're if you're a little too aggressive, like you're 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 looking thirsty, right? You want to play it cool. And it's kind of the same thing in this industry. Like, I think most of us are pretty like-minded people. I think most of us want to help support other people. We want to raise people up. But I'm not going to lie for me when someone's just like following up every day or like overly trying to sell themselves. I'm just like, 
okay, this guy might be great, but like, I don't want to work with this guy. <laughs> so play it cool, you know, get your message out there. If you don't get a response, try someone else at the same company, like until you get a message, but you know, you can be persistent, but don't like, don't overdo it with the one person. And then, um, and then going into kind of the resource stuff, um, I'll kind of hit a couple for you. So, so let's talk like news for a second. So I think, um, I think news is a tricky one. Again, I, I, you know, there's a difference between, you know, TradFi press, crypto press, and even within the crypto press industry, I think there's a difference in terms of like quality control between different publishers, but I'll give you a couple that I really like. Um, I'm a big fan of Blockworks. Um, you know, they don't have the, the readership base of, of Coindesk, but I really do think that they're putting out some really high quality content. Um, they Block, do some research. excuse me. Block. Yeah. Blockworks. W-R-O-K-S. Yeah. But yeah, Blockworks is, um, they're putting out some really high quality content, some really good research. Uh, I believe that they hired, you know, folks from like the Wall Street Journal and things like that. Um, so I really like Blockworks. Um, another publication that I do think everyone should read is, is Coindesk, right? Coindesk is the largest the most global, at least over here. So I think, you know, you want to always read Coindesk to know kind of what's the big news, what's everybody aware of. I think that's important. Um, and then um, another one that I do like quite a bit is, uh, is, is actually a fairly new one that I don't think a lot of people know about, but it's called DL News. So DeFi Llama, obviously a great platform, no partner at Arbitrum, but they actually recently um, were able to snag some really great reporters from places like The Defiant and they are now, you know, in a sense, creating their own news media company. And, and at least for me as like a DeFi guy, a trader guy, I, I really enjoyed the, the content that they're putting out. So those, those are kind of three that I like. Um, in terms of podcasts, I think, I think podcasts you have to be even more careful with. I think most of them are extremely shilly and, uh, and don't fact check. And then, you know, you never know who's on what cap table and who's incentivized to pump what. So you got to be careful there. But a couple that I really like, um, I do like Blockmates a lot, who I mentioned. Again, UK guys. Um, they talk about a lot of things other people don't talk about. Um, they again, don't like to shill for the most part. Um, and, uh, and I also like that they're UK based, right? So I can get a little bit of like a European perspective on things. So that's a good one. Yeah. Um, another one that I like quite a bit is, uh, is Unchained. Um, Laura Shin, for anyone that doesn't know, you know, author of the Cryptopians, she's like, She's like as OG as it gets, and uh, I I adore Laura Shin like on a on a personal level. I think she's incredible. Um, but yeah, Laura Shin Unchained that's a great one, and they also do special episodes with folks from places like Dragonfly and things like that. So, um, so I, I like those episodes quite a bit as well. So that's another good one. Um, and then the other one that I would kind of call out right now is um, is again Blockworks who recently have started launching a lot of new podcasts. So again, they might be smaller, they might have smaller audiences, but again, like. I follow every podcast and then what I do is I, you know, delete the ones I'm not interested in. I bookmark the ones that I do. And then I go every month and I look at the ones I bookmarked. And when I consistently see them coming from the same podcast, I start to go, that's, that's a good podcast, but um, they have a really good podcast called on, on the margin. It's another one called forward guidance. Um, and then the last podcast that I call it that I really like is, um, is actually from Hasu who was at, um, who was at Flashbots. It's called uncommon core. I would argue like it is not, very normie friendly. It is very technical. <laughs> it dives really deep, but like, I mean, Hasu is like as smart as it gets. Um, I, I like the meat on the bones of, of his episodes. Um, so that's another one. And then by the way, going back to press for a second, cause I, I kind of forgot um, an important one. Um, I think it's also important not just to read crypto press, but also to read like more mass press. 
So um, I do like TechCrunch Crypto quite a bit. Um, great reporter there, Jackie Melnick. She's she's wonderful. Um, so TechCrunch is a good one. Um, I've noticed that Bloomberg has really picked up um, their crypto press, um, which I love. And, and remember, like who that reader base is. You know, that's the stuff that a lot of TradFi guys are going to see. Um, I think the information is great. They dive really deep into different topics. Um, and then candidly, like I'll I'll read things like Forbes Crypto or Fortune because you want to know what's reaching the masses. And, and the example that I can give that's great is like when Meme Coin Mania started, I saw an article about Pepe Coin in TechCrunch. And people, like a lot of people in the industry always ask me, they're like, is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? And I was like, are you kidding me? This is a great thing. And they're like, why? And I was like, well, here's what happens. I'm like, TechCrunch, who, who most of us read, I mean, TechCrunch is a great publication, but like a lot of normies read TechCrunch also. A lot of tech enthusiasts read TechCrunch. What happens? They're like, they learn about meme coin mania. They get excited. They get FOMO. Maybe they go yeah. check it out. Right. But, but yeah. I just look at it as like what, what I, what I, what I love about TradFi and I love about big tech press is like, those are the ones that are really helping all of us to drive like awareness and adoption. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then once folks get the bug from like a TechCrunch or a Bloomberg or, an, or information, that's how they're then going to discover Coindesk or Blockworks or Blockmates or things like that. Right. So you got to think of it again as, as kind of a funnel. So that I, I wanted to kind of, Show a little love to those guys. Um, the next thing that I like is, is white papers, um, mm-hmm. which I know white papers can be quite technical. You can use ChatGPT to distill them for you. You can also use ChatGPT to distill tokenomics for you really well. So that's another thing I like is white papers. Um, another thing that I really like, which I don't think people think about when they're trying to onboard is um, on CoinGecko, the app CoinGecko, they actually divide everything into categories. And mm-hmm. so one one of the things I used to do is I'd go, all right, I want to learn about oracles, right? Mm-hmm. So I'd go to the oracles tab. I'd look at like, who's the number one, who's the number two. And then I'd go find podcast episodes about those companies. And I'd, you know, I'd use ChatGPT and whatnot. And then the next thing I know, I, I get it. I got it. And then I'm like, these are all just competitors. Obviously some, you know, some differentiation, things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so CoinGecko is another great resource. Um, the other one is if you're a trader is, uh, is newsletters. Um, a lot of the top traders um, so I'll, I'll just shout out a couple people like uh, like Fungi Alpha has a newsletter, um, Crypto Lynn who I love has a newsletter, uh, Rec Diomedes has a newsletter, uh, Dynamo Patrick like all these guys have newsletters because that's you know they'll usually have a free version and then a paid version and and by the way a lot of the paid ones are totally worth it but but if you want to be a really good trader or you want to understand DeFi um, a lot of times I'm like those are the best resources to learn some of this stuff so. Um, so yeah, those are those are probably the, the the best ones. And then last one I'll call out, which is like very technical, is um, one of the like forefathers of cryptography, um, who's a professor at Stanford. He actually teaches a free cryptography class every year on Coursera, and I think this year's class closed like two days ago, uh, August fifteenth. But um, but again, like what a great free learning opportunity to like become as knowledgeable as like some of these founders that went to places like Stanford, you know? So, um, so yeah, those are, those are some tips that I have, I think. Yeah. Wow. So that's a very helpful tips, but I just want to conclude a, a bit. And so I want to say the first is to be curious to the new tech, like the blockchains, AIs and whatsoever. I think that brought you yeah. in naturally. Right? And then join a the community, be active on job mm-hmm. seeking as well. And uh, because you know there's a deficit in the job mm-hmm. in the workforce, APAC, Europe, you don't say whatever, and learn fast, especially learning how to use uh, ChatGPT, right? 
and read content like podcasts, articles, mm -hmm. white paper, news sets. But these are very helpful. So very grateful for your uh, very helpful opinion. I think our, we had a very fun time on the podcast. Yeah. It's going to be learned a uh, quite lot. I I actually thinking about charging them to read this uh, episode. It's it's, it's it's very full of content. It's very very interesting topic. Um, yeah. yeah. So yeah. thank you, Andrew. Um, at the very end, sure. one uh, you know uh, one I'll, yes. I'll kind of call out that I think is interesting. I did. Uh, I'm trying to find it for you, but yeah, here we go. So I did a thread. I did a not a thread. Well, so actually, fun fact: uh, the new I don't like calling it X. I know mm -hmm. people don't want to call it Twitter, so I usually call it Twix. Twix, you know, because yeah. it's great for both the left and the right. Um, but um, but yeah, one thing I put there, again, not as a thread, threads don't do well with the algorithm anymore, but I did a, a, like a lengthier post, which do do well. Why mm -hmm. do they do well? They're optimized for advertising, my friends. Yes. Um, monetization, consumerism at its finest. So um, I did a little post and I wrote pro tip, and I like to do these pro tips actually quite a bit. I like to try to teach people. I said, mm -hmm. never stop learning and evolving your skill set. Most marketing jobs today will no longer exist tomorrow roles of today that will, right? And these are the areas that I've been not only like studying myself for five years, but like continuing to like perfect because I know these are the skills of the future. And this is why, again, it's hard to find talent because these are things people don't know. But let me just kind of walk you through those real quick because I think, again, for, for folks in the audience, these are the things you should learn. How do you learn them? Go on Udemy, go on Coursera. There's great classes out there. Find a discount code. It's five bucks, you know, but like, those, those careers, in my opinion, are performance marketer, which we talked about, um, a prompt engineer designer. I know for a fact big tech right now is paying 900,000 USD a year for generative AI folks. Like That's supply and demand. There's no one to do it. So the, the demand yeah. is high, supply is low, the price point's mm -hmm. high, right? Um, a marketing data scientist, so someone that knows how to take, think of blockchain, think about how much data is out there that's publicly visible. Think about how people can take that data, interpret it, and then use it to draw conclusions that can be actionable. So I think that's a big one. Um, content and channel optimization specialist, meaning, you know, you don't just create a Twitter channel, you optimize the metadata, you optimize the thumbnails, you optimize the duration of the content, all these little things. Very few people know how to do that. There's, there's free courses out there on that. Um, content optimization specialist. I think a lot of people refer to this as growth marketer. I, I don't. I don't consider this growth marketing. I consider this content optimization. That's like, how do you take this podcast as a piece of video content? How do you optimize it so you can then repurpose it across every social platform in a way that makes sense and isn't just a paste of the same content? Um, another one is like an SEO and algorithm specialist. So someone who literally is constantly observing and studying different algorithms across different platforms and maybe also testing things themselves and then sharing those learnings with you know the broader marketing team um community development and growth strategist right it's not about just being a community member Do you, can you figure out ways to grow that community can you figure out ways to engage that community um i think that's a very accessible one as is um as is uh you know content optimization um, a marketing operations manager. I think that this is something that's actually very applicable to a lot of folks in web too. Like, have you been a program manager before? Have you managed an entire organization of programs? Why can't you do that in web three? Um, a life cycle marketing manager. So again, when you think about customers, it's not just about creating attention. It's not just about acquisition, but it's also about how do you retain them for their life cycle? And then how do you grow them as you know, community members, customers, whatever you want to refer them to, 
That's called a lifecycle marketing manager. And then the last one, and I, I honestly, I'm not sure that there's a lot of folks other than myself that do this, but uh, I call this a B2B to C marketer. So mm-hmm. the biggest difference between B2B and B2C marketing is, you know, B2B is marketing to companies. Why do you take a B2B approach like in AWS? You can scale it a lot faster. The yeah. problem with that is it doesn't tend to be very consumer facing. So if you can learn how to basically market to companies and then leverage that to then market to consumers, community members, whatever, that to me is, is a bit of like when we talked about the brand performance hybrid, I think, I think marketers that have a B2B, B2C hybrid experience are, are going to, are going to, are going to make it. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. So name, nominate, uh, like a person, uh, to join the uh, next episode. Oh, I can talk about it. Okay. Uh, and, and marketing. Uh, it, it doesn't really need to be marketing. It can be a founder as yeah. well. Okay. Uh, can be someone who is, yeah. Got it. And okay. Basically, um, it's 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 your opinion, right? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, who do you like, want to invite to talk about? Like, yeah, there's so many people I love, but I think like just thinking about kind of what I talked about, I'm gonna nominate. I'm gonna nominate Justin Vogel. So his handle is uh, J K E Y underscore E. Justin Justin Vogel. He's um the co-founder of Safari Club, which is the uh, growth marketing DAO. But um, the reason I the reason I'm nominating him is uh, well, first off, I love Justin. I think he's a high quality human being. He's a high quality person. I think he's here for the right reasons. But but what I love about Justin is is Justin has a platform called Safari. It's a it's a growth tech platform, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, how did he grow that? Which is not the most exciting sector to market. He built a DAO, Safari DAO. So if you think about it, at the end of the day, his target you know customer is someone like me, you know, a marketer in web three. What did he do? He built a community of the best web three marketers. So how much easier is it for him to then sell? So I had, you know, I had a call with Justin like earlier this week and it was so funny. It was just like the two of us catching up and and I love the guy. I'm like, yeah, it's in my old friend. I'll always take a meeting with him. Right. So he already got through the barrier. He got the meeting in like two seconds. Right. Then we get on, we're like catching up about things and, and he doesn't even say it, but I was like, listen, man, like, like I like to put my money back into the community. I like to support good people. Like mm-hmm. why don't we set up a demo for you to share the product with my growth marketing guy, right? So, you know, again, I'll let my growth marketing guy, I'm very big on empowering my people to make their own decisions, but I'll let him decide kind of what he wants to use, how he wants to use it. But like, think about how smart it is what Justin did to create that path that he probably has now had a thousand times and also by building this community and by up-leveling the community members, he's made us all smarter. He's helped other people get jobs. So I just, I look at him as someone that's like really doing Web3 right in many ways. Um, so yeah, so Justin, Justin, congratulations, sir. You're my, uh, you're my nomination. Okay, so Justin, if nothing goes wrong, uh, he will be the fourth uh, guest of the episode. Do it. Justin will do it. Like I think, and actually one thing I would say, and this is an important one is like, if you're a real one, right, and we know who the real ones are, you don't say yes or no to podcasts and spaces based on audience size, right? Because again, you're here to support the community, empower the community, grow the community, right? So, so for me, you know, a lot of times it, it really just depends on bandwidth. Like, am I traveling? Do I have four product launches? But like, if I've got a free week and someone asks me and they've got an average of 20 listeners, I'm always going to say yes. Cause I'm like, if I can go on there, and help you go from 25 to 50, one, you're gonna become loyal to me, 
Two, I'm helping you succeed. Three, you succeed. You're bringing more liquidity to the market, my friends. So it's, uh, I think folks need to be less, um, just less selective is maybe the, 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 the word to use. Because again, like the whole ethos is like, Web3 is for everyone, blockchain is for everyone, power to the people. So like you better support the people or like you're not here for the right reasons, in my opinion, at least, you know. Yeah, so definitely. We found a secret key to the web three. Yes. Yeah. The people, no matter if they're well, if they're just average person. Yeah, That's I think it's can exist. And in much. life, my friend, in in life, yeah, I mean you know, like, you know, like I remember when I worked at a company, you know, uh, a lot of our cleaning crew only spoke Spanish. I spoke Spanish. So every morning I'd go in say hi to them, ask them how their kids were doing. But it's like just this notion of like human decency and respect. Like everybody, everybody out there is trying to make it, right? It doesn't matter if they're an Uber driver, it doesn't matter if they're a crypto trader, but like we all have the same goal. And I think at the end of the day, part of being a good human and having good karma is is helping other people, you know? So yeah. Gracias, amigo. <laughs> de nada. De nada. <laughs> Uh, so that's about today and uh, thank you Andrew again for joining our episode and uh, yeah of course that's it okay uh, thanks for having me here yeah. always a pleasure. We'll, we'll